0: way to children's worship, we will continue this morning. Brian said, this is uh, Mission Sunday. I'm very excited to get to um, preach this morning and talk to you about missions. We've got some exciting announcements that we're going to share with you a little later in the service about how we're going to be involving um, you in missions and trying to help you as you live a life. On Mission, and so um, this morning, I, I want you to be excited with me about the opportunity that we have to share the gospel with our neighbors, and with our coworkers and with our friends, and our family, um, the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to start this morning by telling you about a man who lived many years ago. He was born in Howland, Maine. At 18 months old, his father passed away, and his mom left him to his aunt and uncle, the age of seven, after his uncle's death, he left grammar school to provide for he and his aunt. When he was 12 years old, he was working sunrise to sunset at a spool mill to provide for he and his aunt. But upon hearing about a local paper mill that was going to start using electricity, he began to study electrical systems on his own. Without any formal training at the age of 16, he was one of three people hired by the paper mill to install their electrical system. At the age of 18, he joined the United States Navy after becoming interested in wireless communications. While in the Navy, he made himself an expert in radio technologies. He also subsequently taught himself trigonometry, calculus, chemistry, physics, metallurgy, Metallurgy. I keep struggling with that word, among other subjects. Though he dropped out of grammar school at the age of seven, he taught himself a great deal. So who is this man, you might be asking? What significance does he have? Why are you telling us about this guy, but not mentioning his name? Before I answer those questions, I want to ask a question of you. Who are you? And what significance do you have? Why are you here? A preacher who lived over 2,000 years ago asked these same questions as he observed the world around him. This morning, we're going to look at what he observed and apply it to the biggest question that anyone can ask in this life, and that is the question of why. Why are we here? Why do we do what we do? Many of you probably already know where I'm going this preacher's name was Solomon, and he wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes all of these observations. So let's turn there to the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll begin in chapter 1, verse 1. We'll be walking through the entire book this morning. And some of you are like, Amen. are we going to be here for hours? Um, no, we're we're... We're going to give a flyover of the book of Ecclesiastes, and so we'll be moving pretty quick. So keep your hands on your Bible. Um, we're, to, we're going to begin in verse 1. Verse 1 and 2. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Not exactly your best life now. Is it? <laughs> Not exactly your best life now. Let's, let's stop and talk about this for a moment. So who, who is writing this? The preacher, the words of the preacher, the son of David. Many believe that this is Solomon. He's king in Jerusalem. Solomon was known as the wise king and the very wealthy king possibly the richest man to have ever lived. He would make Bill Gates look like he was living below the poverty line. This is who's writing this book, and that, that means a lot, and that says a lot as we walk through the book of Ecclesiastes, that this man who had everything you could ever want in this life, he had it. Women, he had them. A thousand of them. Money, he had it. People were coming to him from other kingdoms for loans, right? Wisdom, he had it. He's got it all. He built for himself ponds and forests. Houses that took longer to build than the temple. He had it all. And look what he says in verse 2. Vanity of vanities says the preacher and just in case you didn't hear it he repeats it vanity of vanities all is vanity this is his thesis statement this is it this is what the rest of the book will flow out of the idea that this life is meaningless vanity carries with it the idea of a vapor or a fog have you ever been driving in the morning down the road and you see fog across the road in front of you and it looks beautiful as the sun is rising beams of light are coming through that fog you're like when I get to it I'm going to pull out my phone and Instagram that thing maybe you don't do that I do that All right. and then as you get up to the fog it's, it's gone it's not there you can't capture that moment Or have you ever been climbing a mountain and the fog has settled right at the top of the mountain, but by the time you get there, you can't grab it. You can't hold on to it. It's it's gone. And that's what Solomon is saying here. It's gone. It's a vapor. Vanity of vanities. All that we're doing, all that we're spinning our wheels trying to accomplish, it's gone like that. So in recognizing this and setting out this thesis statement, Solomon begins to examine all the aspects of life by asking some questions. Here are the questions he's going to begin to ask, beginning in verse 3. Let's look at verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? So the first question he's posed is, what is work for? Why do we work Will this bring us purpose? Look what he says. Verse 4 A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Sun rises, the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and round goes the wind. On its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run into the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It's already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. So what are we working for? Solomon asked this question. What, are we here to work? Is, is that our lot in life? Is that what we're here to do? We're here to work and create things? And he said, well, if I look at the world, the sun rises, the sun sets. The sun rises, the sun sets. The wind goes around and around on its circuits. The rivers run into the sea, but they never fill up. It's maddening that nothing ever seems to finish and what, what is now has already been. So recently the iPhone 6 came out and people were very excited about the iPhone 6. Some people. Um, some people were very excited about the iPhone 6 um, and what it would do and this shiny new package that it's in and all these things you know what an iPhone is? you can pull up your calendar calendars, they've been, been around for a while got calculator, adding machines have been around for quite some time you can read encyclopedias books have been around for a while you can read articles, newspapers, they've been around. There's nothing new under the sun. Maybe we put it in shinier packages. But there's, there's nothing new about what the iPhone 6 can do. And that's what Solomon experiences in life. He's like, there's nothing that is that hasn't already been. There's nothing new under the sun. And then in verse 11, there is no remembrance of former things nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. If I took a poll in this room right now, how many of you know the name of your great-grandfather? Just throw up a hand. Great-grandfather, that's great. Now, how many of you know the names of your great-great-grandfather? Three. Did y'all do a project? Somebody do a genealogy study? Um, Very few people know the names of their great, great grandparents. And those people were alive 50 years ago. Probably. And they're in your family. And so what Solomon says here is so true of us. There's no remembrance of former things. We don't even remember our own relatives who lived 50 years ago. Is it to work? No, obviously not. Obviously that's not our purpose. Because what we do will be undone or it's already been done. So then he goes on to ask another question. Is it to gain wisdom? Is it to gain wisdom? Look at verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I apply my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is... An unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. What is crooked can't be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after the win, For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So Solomon says, I have great wisdom. Maybe that's what it's about. Maybe that's what this life is about, is acquiring wisdom. Discernment. Knowing how to live life skillfully and helping others to do the same. Maybe that's what this life is about. And then as Solomon saw how he used his wisdom, he realized his wisdom just made him see how broken and messed up the world is. It made him see all these things that he writes in Ecclesiastes where he still is asking the question, why? What point is there to all of this? So he doesn't stop there. He goes on. Is it to experience pleasure? Maybe life is just about the here and now and filling ourselves with all kinds of pleasure. So he goes in, in chapter 2, I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it's mad. And of pleasure, what uses it. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom. He's saying, I didn't get drunk. I still knew what I was doing. How to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses, planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in all kinds of fruit trees. He made himself parks. Can we talk about that for a second? I just want a park named after me. Call it Solomon's Park. It's going to be great. There will be swings. Okay? He made parks for himself. I made myself pools, not just one, but many, from which to water the forest of growing trees... I bought male and female slaves. I had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold, the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. Solomon is throwing the biggest parties that anyone has ever thrown for himself. He's got singers and dancers and women. He's enjoying life. He's taking in all the pleasure that he can take in. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem, verse 9. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. What a passage. Because all of us go through life thinking if I can just have a newer car. If I can just get the newest gadget. If I can just have a little bit larger house. If I just had more friends. If I was just more popular. Maybe I would be satisfied. But here's the man who had it all. He says, I didn't, hold, I didn't withhold anything from myself. If I wanted it, I bought it. He had all the money to do so. And at the end of it all, he said, it's vanity. There's nothing to be gained under the sun. It was all striving after the wind. So then he comes back to the wisdom question. Okay? So he's tried the party life. He's... He's tried all of this, all the pleasure. And he says, maybe, maybe wisdom is better than folly, right? I, I've tried the party thing. It's not working out. So maybe wisdom is just a step above that. So he comes back to that question. In chapter 2, verse 12. So I turn to consider wisdom, madness, folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. And I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks around in darkness, and yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For as for of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated my life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all his vanity and a striving after the wind. Solomon is quite depressed at this point. All of it's vanity. I thought maybe wisdom's better than folly, but then I look at the end, they both die, and they're both forgotten. What is the point of this life under the sun? Then he stops questions, and he just goes to some observations, and the reality of the world under the sun. Chapter 3, verse 16, he says, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. He sees the injustice in the world. He's like these people who are supposed to judge, they're wicked, they're crooked, they'll take bribes. There's injustice everywhere. Those who are supposed to be righteous are also wicked. can't trust these people. Man dies like the animals. He goes on in verse eighteen. I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man, and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. Paul's like, we die just like the animals people are oppressed and they're envious chapter 4 beginning verse 1 again i say all the oppressions that are done under the sun behold the tears of the oppressed they had no one to comfort them on the side of their oppressors there was power and there was no one to comfort them and i thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Solomon says it's better for the child in the womb who has not even been born yet and seen all of this than it is for those who are living. talks about Scrooge in verse 7 chapter 4 again I saw vanity under the sun one person who has no other he's lonely he has no son or brother yet there is no end to all his toil his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure this also is vanity and an unhappy business many of you have probably seen or read some type of Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. I grew up watching the um, Scrooge McDuck version. Anybody? Um, Yes, amen. Yes and amen. Um, That's this guy. Solomon says this guy's got nobody. He's got no son. He's got no brother. He's got no family. He spends all his time counting his money. For what? To what end? For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Kings fail. Verse 13, chapter 4. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice, for he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move under heaven or under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in a king's place. There was no end. Of all the people, all of whom he led, yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this is also vanity and striving after the wind. This king was born poor and made his way to the throne. But he gets old. He won't take advice from anybody. He becomes proud and the king falls. So maybe, maybe it's about getting power over people. Well, the powerful oppress. Chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of the justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over him. But this is gain for a land in every way a king committed to cultivated fields. We look around and see that powerful people oppress the poor. Solomon says, don't worry. He'll get his because he's got a higher authority. Whether he recognizes it or not. He recognizes that money, the cruel thing, can be used as a cruel thing. Verse 10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Notice, the love of money is the root of all evil, not money in itself. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is a vanity. The more you get, the more you want. That's all Solomon is saying. The more money you have, the more you want. Some of you may be like me and think, man, if I just had a million dollars. I just had a million dollars, I'd be set. Right? Buy a house. Pay off student loans. Living easy. But Solomon says, that's not how it's going to be. Because when you get some, you just want more. Money is a cruel thing. chapter 6 there's an evil that I've seen under the sun it lies heavy on mankind a man to whom God gives wealth possessions honor so he lacks nothing of all that he desires yet God does not give him power to enjoy them but a stranger enjoys them you spend all your life spinning your wheels working 12 hour days to amass a nice bank account a nice savings a good house and guess who gets it when you die If you have kids, your kids do. And they didn't work for that money. What Solomon says is, I'm going to leave that stuff to my kids, and they're going to go blow it. All that work, and they're going to blow it. You can see over and over again, big CEOs of Fortune 500 companies who pass away and leave their wealth to their children, and many of them end up drug addicts, and losing it all. It's a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children, lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things. He also has no burial. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Those kids aren't even going to give you a nice burial. When you die, they just want your money. That's what Solomon's saying about this rich man. And then finally, everyone in this world dies. Chapter 8, verse 8. No man has power to retain the Spirit or power over the day of death. It is appointed man once to die, and after that the judgment. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. I saw the wicked... Buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. These people who were religious and everybody recognized how good that they were. They die. Everyone in this world dies. But notice what Solomon keeps hammering on. Everything that is done under the sun is meaningless. It's vanity, it's vapor, it's striving after the wind. But we don't have to stay under the sun because God sent one from over the sun to rescue us from life under the sun. Turn with me to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received Grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus, has made him know. See, as Solomon is struggling in his depression of seeing all of this life as having no meaning, being a vapor God sends one from over the sun to die that we don't have to live for under the sun. We don't have to live for this life. We get to live for a life over the sun. Solomon saw injustice. Christ is the righteous judge. Solomon saw the man dies. Christ gives eternal life. Solomon saw that people are oppressed and envious. Christ comes to lift up the oppressed. Solomon saw that people are lonely. Christ comes as a friend to the outcast. Solomon saw that kings fall. But Christ comes as the righteous king. Solomon saw that people with power oppress. But Christ comes to give us power over sin, hell, and a grave. Everyone in this world dies. Christ came to die for us and defeat death in our place. So who are we living for? We're not living for life under the sun. We're living for the one who is from over the sun. In Christ, there is meaning. In Christ, there is purpose. Why are you here? The big question, are you here to gain stuff, to amass treasures for yourself that will be left to someone who doesn't care about them? Or are you here to work for Christ and to live for Christ? We love to quote this verse from Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. Do not fear men. Or not do it for man. Don't do it for man. Work heartily as for the Lord. What does that mean? We like to throw that verse around, but what does that mean? Well, I do all my work to the glory of God. Okay? Still speaking Christianese. What does that mean? What does that look like? Why do you work? Why Do you work? Does it mean that we work with a good attitude and and we do our work with excellence? I think it does mean that. But to what end? I can work my whole life with a good attitude and with excellence and die on top of the company and my kids still get my money. Why do I do those things? Matthew tells us in chapter 5, verse 16, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You work with a good attitude. You work with integrity. You work with honesty. And have a hard work ethic. Not so that you can amass things for yourself. Not just so that you can get a promotion. But so that people will come to Christ. And they will glorify the Father who is in heaven. Your job is about the mission of Jesus Christ. Do you view your workplace as a mission field? Have you ever asked why God has placed you where you are? Rather than complain about the people over you. Rather than grumble about the money I make and the time that I spend there. Have you asked the question of, why does God have me in this place at this time? Have you looked at the people around you and considered, maybe it's so that I can help them live for something more than this life here and now. Maybe it's so that they can know Christ. Listen friends, when we view our jobs in this way, when we see this as our mission field, it becomes a lot easier to do work. It becomes a lot easier to go day after day, eight to five, whatever your hours are, and work that job with people who don't like you and you're not fond of them when you look at them through the lens of the gospel. Are you looking for opportunities every day to reach your coworkers for Christ? Are you seeking the wisdom of christ to know how to get into a conversation with somebody at work about christ just to drop the gospel into conversations are you finding your pleasure in christ how often does your conversation center on spiritual things do you talk about christ in the same way you talk about your grandkids or your spouse Are you talking about Christ in your conversation? Does your life look like you find pleasure and joy in Christ? Or if somebody looked at your life, would it say they find pleasure in golf? They find pleasure in watching college football? They find pleasure. Whatever it is, pick something. Are you consumed with finding your pleasure in Jesus Christ? Are you spending your resources for Christ? Now, oftentimes when we use the word resource, everybody goes to money, right? Where are you spending your money? That's a great question. Are you spending your money so that it advances the kingdom, that it advances the gospel, so that it helps send people out to those who have never heard? Or are you spending it on shiny new things? But one resource we don't like to talk about a lot is our time. Time is the one commodity that we all have an equal amount of. The CEO of a Fortune 500 company has no more time than those kids who are starving in Sudan. You've got 24 hours in a day. That's what you got. Everybody's got the same. What are you doing with your time? Where are you spending it? Is it on sports? Is it on band? is it on social media those things are good it's it's a good thing it's not the best thing you can make it a great thing if you're using those as avenues to share the gospel but we often like to cloak those things right in the gospel Well, the reason that I'm not in church like 25 Sundays out of the years because my kids got soccer tournaments and we're using those soccer tournaments to share the gospel with families who are at the soccer tournaments. When's the last time you invited one of those families over to your house for dinner? When's the last time you opened your mouth and shared the gospel with one of those people? because we like to use this quote, Brian and I talked about it this the other day, this quote that's been attributed to St. Francis of Assisi's, share the gospel at all times and when necessary use words. Right? Words are always necessary. The gospel is the good news. It is a message that must be shared. What would Grace Bible Church look like if we were spending our resources for the advancement of the gospel All of our resources. Better question is, what would the Brazosport area look like if Grace Bible Church was spending its resources for the advancement of the gospel? Are we leaving a mark on the community to the glory of God? Or is it about us? Having a nice facility, having a comfortable place to come on Sunday morning, being fed... Getting our Jesus time on Sunday morning and then going about our lives the rest of the week. It's not Christianity. It's not Christianity. That's not what Christ has called you to. Christ calls you to take up your cross and die. Are you dying to your own selfish ambitions? Are you dying to your wants for the sake of? Of others, that they would hear the gospel, that they would come to Christ, and that they could live for something. Are you dying to self in order to see others come to Christ? Are you dying to your pleasure? Are you dying to your comfort? Are you dying to your popularity? Have you died to your American dream? Because that's what it comes down to. I died to my American dream. Comfortable house, nice family, good kids. Make sure they all go to college, do the right thing, get a good job so that they can live this endless cycle over and over again. Or have we died to the American dream and said, you know what, God, it's all yours, take it. My life is a blank check as David Platt likes to say. Is your life a blank check? God, you write it and cash it and put it wherever you want it. Are we living that way? Are we still holding on to something of the American dream? So remember that guy I was telling you about when we started. His name was Percy Spencer. Many of you, that name means nothing to you. But what he did affects most of you every day of your life. See, Percy Spencer invented the microwave. And you don't even know his name. Nothing about him. But what he invented affects every day of your life. He was paid $2 in gratuity, By Raytheon, a company that is still around. He worked for them when he invented the microwave. They gave him a little two dollars because you're working for them. They own the patents. Today we we don't even know his name. Why are you living? Why do you do what you do? If you're not living your life for what is over the sun. You're not living at all. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you didn't leave us to the madness that is life under the sun, but you sent your son to ransom us To rescue us. To give us eternal life and to give us a purpose. Something to live for. Someone to live for. God, I pray that we wouldn't miss it. That we wouldn't waste this life on gathering up for ourselves things. They're going to be destroyed. Destroyed. God, I pray that we would see the needs around us, that we would see people who are lost and dying and on their way to hell, and God, that we would have compassion on them and we would share the good news of Jesus Christ. God, help us no no longer to be a complacent people who live day to day, just going about our, our regular jobs without thinking of the eternal purpose for which we were created. Let us see it as a joy and a privilege. You've chosen such weak vessels to share the powerful gospel of Jesus. And send us out to the Brazosport community, state of Texas, to our nation and God to the world the millions of people who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ, that we would go to the end that you ransom people from every tribe, nation and tongue and gather them around your throne to sing your praises for eternity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.